We're continuing on in our series this week on Moses as the role model for the church. And we're going to look now at the portion of his story that as he leaves the wilderness and he's making his appearance to Israel, and he's going to share the, the message that God's given to him and display the, the miracles that God's given him to display. Now, of course, Israel, at this point, they're under bondage. right? They're really going through it, and it's been a, a terrible time. And it's kind of ironic that, that they're, later on in their journey, they're able to look back fondly on this time period, right? Because it's really, when you read about it, I mean, it, it's, a, it's a, quite a terrible time. They had cruel taskmasters and a hard workload and, you know, a resistance to allowing them to worship the living God. And, but because Pharaoh wanted worship for himself, he wanted his own kingdom. And so here comes Moses and he's declaring the word of the Lord. And it's kind of exciting, right? Because he's declaring deliverance. And he shows them the signs of the deliverance of the power and the miracles that God's given him to display. And the people rejoiced. As it says in Exodus 4.31, it says, the people believed when they heard the word. They heard that the Lord had visited uh, the children of Israel and that he had looked upon their affliction. They bowed their heads and worshiped. You know, they were exuberant, you could say. You know, they just worshiped God at the word of deliverance that Moses was bring, bringing. And it's, it's really just a real, you can kind of sense their relief at they know that the, there's an end to their affliction that's coming. You know, and sometimes when you're in a trial, it kind of you get that thought or you get thoughts, you know, where is God? Is, is he seeing my affliction? I mean, the Lord is saying here, I have looked. I have looked upon your affliction and it's come before me and it's time for deliverance. And, you know, of course, he has a plan for deliverance as well. The key in that, though, is aligning ourselves to his plan and his timing. And that's the crucial part that I think we can see here with Israel that they didn't really get it first. In fact, neither did Moses. You know, there, there was an adjustment to understanding the ways of God. We actually, we looked at that, you know, Moses, he came to know, it was a learning process to know the the ways of God, you know, and, but they believed, they believed the word. In New Testament terms, you could say there was a big amen in the congregation. They were ready to leave the, for the promised land. I mean, they're ready to leave yesterday for, you know, to be delivered from Egypt and of course, there's a lot more to the story of deliverance and so forth than, than just declaring the word as Moses did, you know, and to receive the, the promise. But we know that a part of that story was that Israel faced obstacles. And the big obstacle was Pharaoh. You know, Pharaoh represents our spiritual enemy and he did not want to let them go. And that's what Moses came to declare, you know, that he would that Pharaoh had to stop preventing Israel from entering their inheritance. And in Exodus 5, verse 1, we see this as Moses comes into the presence of Pharaoh and he says, Let my people go, that they may hold the feast for me, that they can worship 
the living God. And of course, here's Pharaoh's response. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice to let Israel go? Now, we talk about Pharaoh's heart being hardened. There's the reason why. Here's how he responds to the living God. Who is the Lord? Tell you what, if you want to come to know the power of God and really, you know, start, start questioning who God is. And that's, that's really where the, at the root of the judgments that came upon Egypt. Here they are. Pharaoh, historically, they were always ones who declared themselves to be God and to receive worship. And here he is saying to the living God, who are you? Well, God was about to show him who he was. And, you know, why should I obey his voice and to let Israel go? I, I won't do it. Now, as far as Moses and Israel, I don't know. I mean, we don't know, but you kind of wonder if they were a bit shocked. What do we do now? Because we declared the word of the Lord and we even showed, you know, the miracles and so forth. And he didn't, he didn't let us go. <laughs> what do we do? There, maybe there was some discouragement at this point. We don't know. But what we do know is the response of Pharaoh, not just in his words, but in his actions. Because he goes farther and he responds and says, well, why did uh, Israel, um, why did you make them to rest from their burdens, from their responsibilities of building the city and making bricks and so forth? You know, I think Israel must have really responded to the word of the Lord because they stopped working. You know, they, they ceased working in, in their responsibilities in Egypt and so forth. So that might have been a part of the celebration, right? No more hard labor. But Pharaoh says, now you're going to work harder. And, you know, you're going to make bricks without straw. We'll, get, we'll consider that more in a moment. But here's a, a concept we want to take notice of in this. Because this is, we look at this as kind of the example of God coming to deliver us. God working in our lives to bring deliverance. Because there's a specific timing and there's a specific way in the kingdom of God where God brings his promises to pass. And of course, quite often, it's when the time is drawing near, it seems the darkest before the dawn. It's the hardest before the release. Now, I think Israel might have had an idea of quick deliverance because that's what they wanted. They were ready for it. And, you know, the Bible is not explicit in this respect, but scholars have estimated that the period of judgments upon Egypt could have taken place over a month or maybe even several months. Right? And I'm, I'm sure every Israelite was wondering, well, when is this thing going to happen? How long is it going to be before we're delivered? And, you know, God didn't give Moses and Israel a really a complete picture he just gave them a pathway to follow that they were to walk in. You know, they were in New Testament language, they were to walk in it by faith just to receive it. You know, uh, but it was surprising to them. And we can tell that. But uh, Pastor Bailey has a quote in his commentary. He said, often our bondages or problems will increase after God speaks to us and as we seek to obey his word, right? Because God's speaking victory, and we say, amen, praise God. And then it, 
almost seems like the opposite happens. Lord, I thought you said victory because I feel like even less of a victor than I did before. But it's because we have an enemy that does not want us to see, want to see us set free. He does not want us to overcome. He wants us to fail as he failed. And so we can stay in his company. But God wants to make us more than conquerors. And so it's only right. In fact, it's, it's kind of one of the ways you can tell you're walking in the right way. It just gets worse before it gets better. And of course, the Israel kind of reaches the low point of, of this process of deliverance, right? Because the Israelites come to Moses in Exodus chapter 5, and they say this in verse 21. They said to him, uh, let the Lord look on you and judge, because you have made us abhorrent in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants to put a sword in their hand to kill us. That's what the Israelites said to Moses and Aaron. You just made it 10 times worse or maybe 100 times worse because now, you know, they're, they're making our lives miserable. At least we could live before. Now you're, you're putting it, you're giving them an excuse to kill us. In other words, Moses, this is your fault. And that's going to be a recurring theme that you see in the, in the journey. Moses, it's your fault. Whenever it becomes difficult, why did you bring us here? You know, Moses, all he can do is take this to the Lord. But you, you kind of see how Moses is still learning the ways of God because he kind of asks the same question. Lord, why? In Exodus 5, verse 22, it says, So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Lord, why have you brought trouble on this people? And why is it that you sent me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people, and neither have you delivered your people at all. And so... You know, I think there was an expectation, okay, I'm going to proclaim the word of the Lord, I'm going to show the miracles, and bam, we're out of here. But that wasn't the case. Well, we know, see, we can read the whole story, and we know that God had a purpose. You see, because, because of the words and the actions of Pharaoh, God wanted to display his power. And he wanted to do that in that process of deliverance. But we have to get in the same perspective of heaven in order to flow with it. You know, sometimes we just see the trouble increasing after receiving the word of the Lord by faith and declaring it, but yet we can believe that it will come to pass as we've set ourselves in that way. But, you know, here, here's the thing from the story that we can learn is sometimes God is looking for our commitment in that sense of, you know, sometimes we have to past that point of no return where we make that dedication, Lord, I'm going to follow you. And sometimes that, that practically means, well, I'm going to have to make a de declaration or I, I have to follow a step of faith and everyone sees it. And now I'm out there and I have to walk in that way. And now it's getting harder. But yet that's when God could move. You know, it's when that, that, that point where we have no other option but to trust God because we've stepped out. And that is when the Lord responds. In, in Exodus 6 and verse 1, here's what God says to Moses. Now you will see what I will do to Pharaoh. Now I'm going to work. Now I'm going to display, you know, he says, with a strong hand, 
He will let them go with a strong hand. He will drive them out of his land because of what I will do. You know, and so is, Moses and Israel had respond to, responded to God's leading. Now God was going to respond. And, and I think at this point, Moses, maybe he was starting to see the sovereignty of God in this process that God had a plan and a purpose. He wasn't just going to deliver Israel. He was going to do it in a mighty way. And the key was aligning himself to the plan of God. Now, there's something quite interesting here that the Lord says to Moses that I, I hadn't really caught the nuances of, of what's being said here. But in Exodus 6 and verse 2, it says, God spoke unto Moses and said unto him, I am the Lord who appeared to Abraham and Isaac and unto Jacob by the name of God Almighty, but by my name Jehovah was I not known to them. Now there's something we can understand in the, in the Hebrew names of, of the Lord here. And scholars have kind of puzzled over this verse a bit of how he appeared unto to Abraham as, as God Almighty. Now that word means, uh, in the Hebrew, is El Shaddai. And it, it means the Almighty One or the All-Sufficient One. And, you know, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and, you know, all of those saints of the Old Testament, you know, they, they met God as the Almighty, as the one who was able to do all things for them, to make great promises and to lead them in, a, in, a, in the way, in the wilderness. But there's also a sense that with these ones that they didn't have the privilege of seeing the promises fulfilled. They didn't see it come to pass. But now the Lord's coming as Jehovah. And, you know, what's puzzling to scholars is that the name Jehovah was used. And in fact, it's used all throughout Genesis. And in, in the Old Testament, it's used like 6,500 times. So people, some people have been like, well, why is the Lord saying you haven't known me as Jehovah? Because the name was used. But, you know, there's a thought here is that God is revealing an aspect of himself through what is about to take place. You know, Jehovah means the existing one or the self-existent one. You know, they had, they had known the Lord as the one who provides, who's all-sufficient, who makes precious promises in the past, but now Moses and Israel would know God as the one who brings those promises into existence. You know, sometimes we can, God can make promises and, you know, we can read about revival or we can, you know, read about miracles and say, well, I believe God's able to do that someday. But here's God. He's saying, I'm Jehovah. I'm going to bring it into existence. It's not just going to be something far off. It's going to be a reality. Because he's the one who brings his promises to pass. And there comes a time in our journey you know, we've trusted God, we've followed him, we believed his promises, but there's a time when Jehovah wants to meet with us and bring his promises to pass in our lives. Now, sometimes there's a mighty battle when that takes place and it gets a little darker and it gets a little, you know, the clouds get ominous and, you know, the obstacles get bigger and so forth. And there's difficulty. And of course, Israel, they were still having a hard time. They were, they were having trouble getting over what Pharaoh said. And so Moses was trying to encourage them. 
with, with what the Lord's spoken in, in Exodus 6, 9, it says, And Moses spoke to the children of Israel, but they hearkened not unto Moses for anguish of spirit and for cruel bondage. They couldn't even hear what he was saying because of what they were going through and because of anguish and cruel bondage. And, you know, that's something we, we have to consider when people are going through something, you know, and sometimes you try to encourage them and give them a spiritual perspective and it's like they can't hear because of cruel bondage. You know, maybe they have a door that the enemy has access through and it's just causing them anguish and trouble and, and so forth. And sometimes, you know, all we can do is just walk with them towards the place of deliverance. And that's what Moses was doing. But I, I want to consider just for a moment the response of Pharaoh. You know, and this is instructive to us because uh, it can help us identify one of the ways that the enemy would prevent us from overcoming and inheriting our promises. Because Pharaoh saw the people had, had ceased doing his work and they'd come into a, a rest of waiting upon God. And so what did he do? He, he proclaimed uh, or he made a proclamation, you're going to make bricks, but now you're going to do it without straw because you have to go out and find the straw. And then you're going to come and you're going to make bricks. Of course, he basically gave them an impossible task and, and he left it up to them to complete it. Didn't give them what they needed to do that. And so he increased the burden and the stress and the pressure and he said, you're going to do it. But what he was doing, what he, he was trying to be, bring the people into a place of striving. Striving. Striving is doing something in our own strength, in our own power, trying to accomplish something. And, you know, as believers, sometimes we can strive because of something in our heart, something in our mind. And so we're trying to bring it to pass through our own strength. But all it kind of does makes us do is spin our wheels and get tired because the only way we can accomplish impossible tasks is through the one who strengthens us. And so the trouble is when we get into this place of striving, trying to accomplish things according to our own strength, you know, sometimes as we're provoked by the enemy or, you know, different, different aspects, we can get into an endless cycle we don't get anywhere when we strive. You know, it's like the story of, uh, I was thinking of the story of Martha and Mary. You know, Martha became so focused on natural things. Maybe she wanted to have the perfect atmosphere and create a good meal for, for the disciples and for the master and so forth. And, and of course, Mary wasn't helping her to accomplish her goal. She was just sitting around. Is that lazy? That's not being spiritual at least in, from her perspective. And so when she came to the master and said, Master, make Mary help me instead of just sitting around here. We know Jesus' response, Luke 10, 41, Martha, Martha, you're worried and you're upset. I'm reading this from the NIV. I like how this is worded. You're worried and upset about many things. In other words, you're just, you're striving because you're trying to do things that aren't flowing with what? I'm offering. Few things are needed, or indeed only one, and Mary has chosen what is better, and it will not be taken from her. 
All right. And so, you know, what we can understand from the story of Mary and Martha, but but also Israel's story of deliverance from Egypt is, you know, there are certain things we need to do to obey and to follow the Lamb in that way. Right? Certain things we steps of obedience we we have to do to, to be set free, but we always do them in his strength, in his power, in his leading. You know, but it and it always starts like Mary, sitting at his feet, resting in him, doing it in his strength, you know, and then it goes on from there. And it depends on the story God is trying to develop through our lives for what we do, you know, because, and, and here's the final point of the message here as we close, is that deliverance came to Israel as they followed him through a season of judgment, of difficulty. Now, that judgment was coming upon Egypt, but, you know, they still had to be there. They still had to go through it. And that, that in itself is a separate message for the church. You know, God wants to empower us to endure, even in the time of judgment. Now, and so they had to go through that, and the, but the key was to rest as Mary to rest at his feet in his presence, to trust in God's plan. And, you know, we can see this in many examples in Scripture. You know, we think of, of like the prophet Daniel. I mean, he experienced great deliverance several times in the sight of God and in the king of Persia, but that came as he passed through some trials. He passed through some judgments and difficulties. Of course, one of them was the lion's den. Right? He experienced great deliverance. But that deliverance came as he was sitting in front of those lions. And they were, I think they were hungry. But, of course, God shut their mouths. So he had to sit there all night. They, he was looking at them and they were, they were looking at him. I don't know if they could lip, lick their lips, but their mouths were closed. Of course, when the, other, when the other folks were thrown in there, it was a different story. But, you know, it came as he passed through that season of judgment. And so he had to endure. And he had to wait on God and continue in the strength of the Lord in that. Now, if there's other pla- many other places in Scripture, but one I was thinking of was from the book of Esther. We've been reading that book lately. And, and it's amazing when you consider the story of Israel in this book, of how God justified and magnified the people of God, Israel, in the midst of the Persian Empire. I mean, they went from the least in the empire to the one of the most protected and, and lifted up groups in the empire. It was because of Mordecai and Esther, basically. But it happened through some terrible experiences, through some very threatening experiences, right? Because basically the king's degree, decree was a sentence of death upon their whole people. And they had to endure that. And there was great fasting and mourning for a season, you know, as that decree went out against the Jews. And it, nothing changed until Esther was willing to lay down her life right, to go before the king. And it wasn't a quick experience either. In fact, I think it's quite inter- interesting when you read it and you actually record and you can, especially when you're relating it to our spiritual progression, 
you know, represented in the three sections of the tabernacle. You know, have you ever noticed how many times she had to go in before the king? It's three times. It wasn't just the one time where she said, if I perish, I perish. But she actually, you know, it was three times she went in before the king to touch the scepter. And thankfully, the king held the scepter out to her. That she could touch it. Otherwise, the royal decree was, if the scepter wasn't put out, you were put to death. And there's really a message for that, for us in that. You know, there's an aspect of our spiritual progression that requires a laying down of our life, of our will, of our strength, of our, our timing. But in that, God accomplishes His deliverance in His way. You know, and as Israel submitted to the plan and, and the, the progression of God's deliverance, it took 10 separate experiences, you know, 10 acts of, of his power being displayed, and they, they had to endure that power that in the form of judgments and difficulties and so forth. But God wrought a mighty deliverance through that. And after they came out, was that, and then they had to get out across the Red Sea as they were being pursued and so forth. But after they came out, they had a song of deliverance that they could now sing. Right? I think we talked about that last week, about the song of the Lamb, that there's songs that God wants us to sing. Well, God had a song that they could sing after that, right? because the final act was Pharaoh trying to keep them. He pursued them across the Red Sea. But we know the story that it ended with God telling Moses, stretch out your hand upon the sea and the waters closed. They returned into their place and the enemy was washed away and seen no more. And then it, in Exodus 15 and verse one, it says, and then Moses and the children of Israel sang this song to the Lord and spoke saying, I will sing to the Lord for he has triumphed gloriously. The horse and the rider as he thrown into the sea, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. You know, that's quite a contrast from just a month or two earlier from, from how they responded to Moses. I don't even want to hear what you have to say anymore. To now they had a song. You know, and God has a song of deliverance for us to sing. He has a pathway to get there. But as we saw with Israel, there's many obstacles in that path. You know, there's a spiritual opposition, things trying to get in our way and prevent us from doing it, trying to get us to get our focus off the Lord and do things in our own strength and in our own energy. And that's, that's quite discouraging when we do that and then we realize we're not getting anywhere and so forth. We might pass through experiences where, that require a new level of laying down our life and our will and our emotions and our goals and our dreams and visions and so forth. But if we can come to that place so we can say like Esther, well, if I perish, I perish. What does it matter? Based on what God wants to do and wants to give. My life is in the hands of God and I'll follow the pathway he has before me. But, and in that, God will birth a song of deliverance, a song of joy, a song of victory, because we have allowed the Lord to work his deliverance 
in our situation and in our lives. And Lord, we thank you for your plan of deliverance that we see in this story of Israel. And Lord, we rejoice because you said the story of Israel is an example for us and that you have a plan of deliverance, a plan of victory for each and every one of our lives. And so Lord, we just cry out to you today as Israel. Lord, we're, we're so poor and weak. And Lord, we need the strength of the mighty one of Israel. Lord, that you would empower us, Lord, to endure the seasons of, of the tests, Lord, of the trials, and to overcome, Lord, the opposition of the enemy. Lord, help us to cease from striving and doing things in our own strength and in our own understanding and our concepts. But Lord, bring us to that place of Esther, Lord, that we're willing to lay it down. That if there's things in us that have to die, let them die. That we can live for you and that we can have a song of praise and victory and we can sing in all eternity unto the Lamb. Oh, do that work in us, we pray. We thank you and we bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. The Lord bless you.